Welcome to this Walnut Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to our special Walnut Wednesday report, we'll bring you a look at national and regional agricultural news here on the show today. And I'll start things off with a look at regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Farmers in the Salinas area have experienced repeated storm systems that have flooded homes, roads, and businesses and impacted farms. While they continue to dig out and assess the damage to communities, the resiliency of the people on the Central Coast and their ability to work together against diverse conditions comes into clear focus. From a farming perspective, the storms occurred during the off-season for the vast majority of crops grown in the Salinas Valley, with most vegetable production currently centered in the Yuma, Arizona, California desert regions. Since planting has just begun in the Salinas Valley, farmers are seeing a limited impact on new plantings from the heavy rains. However, a majority of plantings are now delayed until farms can dry out. Planting delays will vary field by field depending on soil type, drainage, and etc. Fortunately, company facilities located in the Salinas Valley were able to overcome initial challenges and continue processing desert-grown vegetables despite some brief interruptions due to impacted public infrastructure from the heavy rains. With a focus on keeping the community and its workforce safe. These companies and the Grower Shipper Association of Central California have worked with local officials to overcome obstacles so consumers can continue to enjoy nutritious fresh produce and employees' livelihoods are being protected. The community has been through a lot over the last three years, including a pandemic, wildfires, drought, and now intense storm damage. However, a recurring theme is a consistent effort to identify and implement solutions. The region has been through a lot over the last three years, including a pandemic, wildfires, drought, and now intense storm damage. USA meteorologist Brad Reppy looks at the latest totals regarding mountain snowpack in California's main source of irrigation water. The water equivalency of the Sierra Nevada snowpack has climbed to at least 32 inches. That puts us above what you would typically expect for an entire western winter wet season. So we are halfway through. We've accumulated more than you would expect to receive by the time we get to April 1st. That 32-inch total is 120% of average of the April 1st typical peak date, and it's about two and a half times normal what you would expect to see accumulated in the Sierra Nevada by mid-January. The way to look at that from a hydrological perspective is that it's nothing but good news for water supply for northern and central California, where most of the big reservoirs are. This is going to help fill them up as that snow eventually melts later in the spring and into early summer. It bodes very well for replenishing reservoirs that had dropped by the end of November to about two-thirds of average for that time of year. Since then, we have seen significant improvement, and it's quite possible that many of the reservoirs, except the biggest ones, will be brimming with water by the time we get to late spring and early summer. A California congressman just assigned to the House Ag and Natural Resources Committees had a legal run-in a few years ago with the EPA and Department of Justice over alleged waters of the U.S. violations. Fourth-generation tree, vine, and wheat grower John Duarte sued EPA after it told him to stop plowing his land in violation of WOTUS and was then sued by the Justice Department for millions in fines. Duarte later settled the case, agreeing to pay $333,000 in civil penalties, $700 
$170,000 in mitigation credits and limit use of 44 acres. Now Duarte has been named to the House Ag and Natural Resources Committees, giving him a more powerful voice on WOTUS. Tony Francois, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation, represented Duarte and says the very thing EPA is telling you not to worry about is plowing, and that's what they sued Duarte for. The regulators have used the expansiveness and the ambiguity and vagueness of the significant nexus test to uh, really push the outer limits of their authority. American Farm Bureau Federation's Courtney Briggs claims EPA and the Army Corps jumped the gun on an expected Supreme Court ruling later this year. That was one of the reasons why we asked the agencies to wait until the Supreme Court issued a decision in Sackett because we're introducing a new and frankly confusing rule to an already very convoluted permitting process. The Pacific Legal Foundation is also challenging the government and Sackets versus EPA in a bid to replace a split court ruling in 2006 with a clear majority behind a narrow WOTUS definition. Registration is open for the 10th North American Strawberry Symposium, a meeting of strawberry growers, researchers, and other industry members from around the globe to be held in conjunction with the annual NASGA conference. It'll be March 7th through the 10th in San Luis Obispo, California. Nearly 90% of U.S. strawberries are grown in California, and the Golden State features a unique coastal environment with its western ocean exposure, moderate temperatures, warm sunny days, and cool foggy nights, perfect for growing strawberries year-round. The symposium will include two and a half days of workshops, a reception, research presentations, marketing presentations, and poster sessions, and will be followed by a post-conference tour on March 10th, which will encompass strawberry production in the region, as well as a research training and testing facilities at the Cal Poly Strawberry Center. The program committee is working to make this a world-class research symposium for growers and scientists, and they are looking forward to seeing everyone at the symposium. Online registration, along with information for the meeting, can be found at the NASGA website, which is www.nasga.org. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Bee Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. The spotted lanternfly, or SLF, which is an invasive pest in many parts of the eastern United States and is spreading westward, has multiple cultivated and wild hosts in California. The black walnut and other Juglandaceae members are common hosts of SLF. The cultivated English walnut and the endemic California walnut are among the important hosts that could harbor SLF populations and are at risk if the pest invades California. The extent of SLF risk to various cultivated hosts, potential economic losses, and the distribution of wild and cultivated hosts that support SLF populations was determined recently by generating various maps using crop data from the state and various counties by UCCE's Surendra Dara and UCCE's Roland C. Boko. Dara, now at Oregon State University, explained a bit about the pest in general, including some of its biology. 
spotted lanternfly is actually a plant hopper. Um, it's uh, a, a pretty insect. It is about one inch uh, long with uh, bright colors and uh, spots. So it looks uh, like a very pretty insect, but it is also a dangerous insect because of the host range and uh, the damage it can cause to some of the important uh, uh, cultivated uh, crops we have in California or elsewhere. Um, it is um, a hemipteran insect. So the life stages include eggs, which are covered by a protective coating and it overwinters in the egg stage. So it works out well. Uh, then it has four nymphal instars. The first three are dark with the black with white markings and the fourth instar is, has red and white and black markings. Then you have males and females. So it has only one generation per year um, in, in its um, you know, typical native environment or the new environment in the you know, Eastern United States. So what um, eggs are laid um, from September to December, and then egg period continues for several months. So they hatch um, in spring, spring to summertime. Then again, you have adults uh, late spring to, um, I mean, late summer to fall. So this is its life cycle. And obviously when it moves to a warmer uh, climate, like uh, something like California, we don't know exactly what happens to its life cycle. Uh, it will de definitely shorten, but would it have multiple generations? Uh, we don't know, Pro probably not. Let us hope it does not uh, have that situation. According to Dara, research shows that the spotted lanternfly has 22 uncultivated hosts and 70 cultivated hosts in the state of California, and that that list could change as more research is done. Some of the cultivated hosts uh, in California are apples, apricots, um, cherries, grapes, the most important one. And then we have peaches, pears, persimmons, plums, pomegranates, roses. Uh, and walnuts. So th these are already quite a few important crops and just blue, um, just uh, grapes and walnuts are um, uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, the, the, the 5 billion, more than $5 billion um, of uh, uh, crop value just for two commodities. Dara and Boko used county crop reports to determine SLS risk levels and data were entered into a spreadsheet and maps were generated using QGIS open source software. These maps show the distribution of cultivated walnuts in various counties and the level of risk based on acreage value and production volume. These mapping was done both for cultivated hosts and wild hosts. Cultivated hosts are easy to track because we know where they're grown, how much of an acreage they have and the value. Uh, but for wild hosts, it is uh, based on multiple reports and some, some estimation was also there. So coming to the risk of spotted lantern flight to walnuts, uh, we have three sets of maps. Um, it is based on the acreage then it is based on the value of walnuts in different counties and then uh, yield. Uh, so let us quickly look at uh, acreage. Based on the acreage, um, San Joaquin uh, County is at very high risk, followed by Tulare and Butte 
counties, and then uh, Stanislaus and uh, Glen and Sutter counties are at uh, moderate risk. So we we have these um, levels, and then there are other counties that are at the low risk or very low risk. And then coming to the value, uh, then we have Butte and San Joaquin at very high risk because of the value uh, of um, walnuts produced in these two counties. Uh, then we don't have anything with the high risk, then the counties with moderate risk are Stanislaus, Glen, Sutter, and Tulare. And uh, low risk counties are Kings, Yuba, Colusa, and Tehama. Then the rest of the state is at a very low level of risk. As for some of the earlier parameters being taken for this pest, importing natural enemies from the native country of the invasive pests that are very specific to the targeted invasive pests and releasing them in the new area of invasion is one of the common approaches. Although various species of imported biocontrol agents are currently under investigation, they don't seem to be an immediate option due to some host specificity concerns. However, several researchers are working on various integrated pest management strategies to manage SLF, according to Dara. Multiple people have been working on various aspects. Uh, for example, I have been working on the outreach, and then we have uh, other UC researchers working on ex exploring biocontrol options. When we have an invasive pest like spotted lanternfly, uh, classical biological control is usually the uh, you know, best solution for long-term and area-wide control. So um, egg, our nymphal parasitoids are being examined and if they are found host-specific, that means they are going to attack only uh, spotted lanternfly. Uh, we have the possibility of them um, being released for spotted lamp fly control. Um, but research in terms of applied research, other than that, we are not doing any applied research in California because we don't have the pest yet. Uh, but uh, CDFA is, uh, has put spotted lamp fly on the watch list and they, they're working on you know, looking at various ways to mitigate its uh, uh, invasion. Uh, okay. But more than that, everybody has to take part because this is not just an agricultural pest. It can hitchhike on vehicles and arrive on packages and everything that is coming from in infested areas. So more than the government, everybody, uh, it is every citizen's responsibility to uh, be aware of this pest, be able to identify the, uh, you know, mobile stages or egg stages and then report to the concerned authorities. In terms of what growers of potentially affected commodities by spotter and lanternfly can do at the moment, the answer is simple. Continue supporting industry research to help against spotter lanternfly and create awareness for the pest. Research is being done with the help of a collaboration with growers, but not necessarily in California, but in general everywhere. Um, that that has been a major part of addressing any uh, pest issue, uh, then they could contribute to increasing um, the awareness of spotted lanternfly. Uh, when we have an agricultural pest, it is uh, typically growers, researchers, and you know, concerned uh, entities that are involved in addressing it. But this pest uh, can attack a uh, uh, plants in the landscape areas and the backyards every, everywhere. So it is not just a, 
uh, an agricultural pest, but it is also a huge nuisance pest for urban areas too. Uh, because of that, growers, um, growers, several growers are already aware of the pest and what's being uh, done, but they could also contribute to increasing the impact of outreach by you know, communicating to their friends and other people. And uh, um, basically we want everybody in California to be aware of the pest, be able to identify and delay its invasion as much as possible. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The Environmental Protection Agency and Army Corps of Engineers publish a revised Waters of the U.S. rule in the Federal Register. The publication means a revised rule will go into effect on March 20th of 2023. EPA and the Army Corps announce a rule at the end of 2022, which will replace the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. The rule comes as agriculture awaits a Supreme Court decision in the Sackets versus EPA case, which could send WOTUS back to the drawing board. However, the Sackett case is not focused on a new rule. AFBF General Counsel Travis Cushman says you would probably need to have a new challenge to that rule based on a Sackett Supreme Court decision. The value of U.S. agricultural imports grew an average of 4% a year between fiscal years 2012 and 2022, according to USA's Economic Research Service. Total U.S. agricultural imports rose from $139 billion to $194 billion, with growth concentrated in select commodity groups. Horticultural products grew at a rate of 6% a year at $97.2 billion in value in 2022, accounting for 65% of the total growth in imports. Within a horticultural group, fresh fruits were the largest contributor at $17.9 billion, growing at an annual rate of 9% over the period and accounting for 15% of total import growth. Key commodities in a fresh fruit group include avocados, berries, and citrus, which United States imports mostly from Latin American countries. Demand for horticultural products has largely been driven by consumer desire for year-round supply, changing consumer preferences, and foreign production that is increasingly competitive with domestically grown produce. The International Dairy Foods Association has named Mike Brown as chief economist. Brown has a long and distinguished career in the dairy industry, most recently leading the milk and dairy procurement team for the Kroger Company as director of dairy supply chain. Brown is a recognized expert on milk pricing policy and has worked for both farmer-owned cooperatives and proprietary businesses, all of which are current IDFA members. IDFA president and CEO Michael Dykes says they are confident that with Mike Brown as IDFA's chief economist, their approach to the future will ensure the domestic and global competitiveness of the U.S. industry. IDFA also announced it has engaged in consulting agreements with three policy and legal experts to support dairy policy and pricing efforts led by Carlin and Brown. They are Chip English, Stephen J. Rosenbaum, and former U.S. Representative Colin Peterson. The additions come as the dairy industry expects a federal milk marketing order reform effort this year. The nation's organic food industry will soon be operating under a new set of USDA rules and regulations. USDA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. For the people who produce, sell, or buy organic food products certified by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a new set of rules just out. The most significant 
change to the United States Department of Agriculture's organic regulations since the National Organic Program was established in 2001. Undersecretary of Agriculture Jennifer Moffitt unveiling for reporters the final package of new rules and regs for the organic industry. This rule safeguards the integrity of organic products so both consumers as well as producers are operating in a fair and level playing field. It reduces fraud in the organic market. Fraud such as selling non-organic products at premium prices to consumers as organic. Consumers need to know that if they're going to put the money down, um, that they're actually going to get the product that they're intending to get. House member from Maine, Chelly Pingray, praised the new rules which expand the number and types of organic operations that will have to be inspected and certified. The new rules fully enforce March of 2024. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Farmers and ranchers have a few weeks left to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Farm News reporter Michael Clements shares more on why this is important. The Census of Agriculture provides the only source of uniform, comprehensive, and impartial agriculture data for every state and county in the nation, according to American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President of Public Policy, Sam Kiefer. The Census of Agriculture is done every five years. It covers all of agriculture production, and it's the one and only complete count of farms and ranches in America and the people who operate them. Kiefer says the data from the survey is used to shape local and federal decisions. It's used by lawmakers, not only at the federal level, but also at state and local level, to make important decisions that impact rural communities. The Census of Agriculture is also used by organizations like Farm Bureau and those who advocate on behalf of farm and ranch families. It's also used by community planners and others making decisions that impact how land is uh, used at the local level. And federal law means your data must remain confidential. Farmers and ranchers are concerned about their farm data, and and understandably so. But the USDA, and in this case particularly, it's the National Agriculture Statistics Service, they are bound by federal law to keep data secure. And they only publish the data in aggregated terms. So no individual names or addresses or, or identifying features are released in any of the data. Instead, it is truly just aggregated information that is put out for public use. Farmers and ranchers have until February 6th to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Any questions should be directed to your local USDA office. Michael Clements, Washington. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. 
Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 